Let us pray. Lord, how we love you, how we praise you. I ask you to forgive us our sins and love us as your children once more. We pray for the sick, the burdened, and troubled. Pray for this congregation and the pastor in his absence. Bring him safely home. And now, Lord, we ask you to break now the fallow ground of our hearts and sow therein the seed of your word. Take us out of self and have time the cross. They would not see me but see thee. Let your spirit fall afresh on us with Pentecostal power. In the name of our Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me say good morning to each and every one of you. Um, we give honor to your pastor. In his absence, our friend, Pastor Henson. And we bring you greetings from the Little Union Baptist Church, um, which takes pride in being the epicenter of civil rights activities in Shreveport during the 60s and was the last church Dr. Martin Luther King spoke at in our beloved city. Now, I don't mind you saying amen if you so choose to. <laughs> amen is to the preacher, in my tradition, what sickam is to the dog, and amen is like the tailwind against the uh, plane to the gate. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want to uplift uh, a portion of the fifth verse of one of the best-known psalms in Scripture. And the last part, a portion of the verse simply says this, uh, My cup overflows, or my cup runneth over. And I want to use for a subject, free refills. Free refills. Um, this is a, a culture when most of us don't eat meals together as a family. I can remember my mother being a school teacher in Lincoln Parish. She'd come home, hard day's work, rest, and fix us a delightful home-cooked meal. And we'd gather around as a family. We each would say Bible verse as a blessing and eat together. But now because, of course, of the function, of dysfunction of the family, many of us don't take time together. And so, therefore, most of our meals are taken outside the home. Now, I can remember when my wife was working on master's and I would come home from church, the office, I would say, what's for dinner? And she would use this phrase, you on your own tonight. <laughs> now that simply meant Kentucky Fried, Popeyes, Taco Bell, um, Soul Food Kitchen or a cafeteria, or Cracker Barrels. Now, being the frugal person I am, I'd always ask this question to the waitress when I would order my beverage. Do you charge for free refills? And, and the answer will usually come back, no. Now, this particular psalm is probably the best known and beloved of the psalms. 
said that King Louis XVI, as he rode to his death, read this psalm on his way to the guillotine. The book of Psalms is the is nothing more than a book of hymns of the believing community. We don't have the melodies, and that's a good thing because perhaps we get preoccupied with the beat rather than the meat of what it's saying. Uh, this, of course, being the hymn book of Israel, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it is now the hymn book of the church. This particular psalm was written by David as he reflected on his life as his time was running out. That God had been to him what a shepherd is to sheep. He simply says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Makes me to lie down in green pastures, he leaves me beside the still waters. He restores my soul, he leaves me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with all my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, first thing we notice about this psalm is it is personal. It's written in the first person singular. My shepherd, he makes me, he leads me, my cup, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This underscores, of course, our God is a personal God. Now, I would suggest to us that you can't get to heaven piggyback. God does not have grandchildren. He only has children. It's all right to drive a second-hand car and wear second-hand clothes and even eat leftovers. But one cannot have a second-hand faith. That is, he can't, as we say sometimes, get over on what mother and father and grandma and grandfather did. Uh, Sometimes people will say, if I ask them what church you attend, they'll talk about what their parents did. My daddy paid the first $100 to build the church. A mother made the first pie to sell to pay the note. That's well and good, but what are you doing? Have you come to know Jesus in a personal way as your Savior and Lord? But as we look at this particular text, that particular part of verse 5, says that ours is a supplying God. But also reminds us when we look at it in the sense of who we are as Christians and as the church. Number one, first thing this text would suggest is to don't forget who we are. We are vessels. I don't care what your calling or your vocation is in life, whether you live in the White House or a simple house, whether your job is blue collar or white collar or in between, whatever that means, job, no matter what your income is, 
If you are a Christian, you are a vessel. You are, as it were, a cup. Someone once wrote, God still uses crack pots. Paul puts it this way. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. That's a wondrous thought. In other words, God wants to show his stuff to the universe. He could have easily used nature, angels, but he chose to use frail, foolish creatures of flesh like us. Now, if I can make my point live a little bit, Back in the day, my household, before we had what you call good dishes and good glasses, my parents and my mother would never throw mayonnaise jars or jelly jars away. I'm sure yours didn't. She used those jars to put different things in them. A jar for loose grooves, one for loose buttons, and some for change. In other words, she would recycle those jars. In our world, there's so much brokenness that sometimes people forget God is in the recycling business. You sometimes will see men on the street trying to scrape up change to buy a meal. They will take cans that have been bent and stepped on and run over. Because they look at that can, not for the state it's in, but what it can be. And they take it to the recycling center. For those of you perhaps who are bruised and broken, discouraged, the good news is God still recycles. In other words, he will redeem and repair and mold us and shape us as a vessel and fill us with the power of his spirit to put his grace on display of what he can do in a fallen, broken world. So you ought not to remember, or forget rather, we're vessels. Now that would suggest two things. If we are vessels, you must remember God cannot fill an upside-down cup, meaning a bad attitude. I remember when... On my first paying job as a student at Bishop College, I was a waiter at the Fairmont Hotel, and the maitre d' was a British citizen, very proper, crisp British accent. And he would say, Mac, when you work the banquet, if the guest has his cup upside down, it means he does not want coffee, and you go to the next guest. Many of us cannot be blessed because we are as upside-down cups. have nasty attitudes. We're mean-spirited. We are tight. We're not compassionate. And God can't bless that. God will not bless that. But then the other thing would suggest as a cup, God can't fill a dirty cup. Now, for you, perhaps, who are retired and you get your morning paper, and you have a nice hot cup of coffee, and you put sugar and cream in it. And when you drink that, that cream and sugar settles and hardens. What do you do? 
You have to soak it to get stuff out. Many times God has to put us in a soaking mode to get some stuff out that we've been carrying around for years and issues we have not dealt with. In other words, David even says in Psalm 51, purge me with hyssop. Hyssop is a laxative. Now, you know what a laxative does. It cleans out your system. Come on now. It cleans out your system of stuff that is in your colon. Perhaps it's undigested greens or peas or whatever. You have to clean your system out. And sometimes God has it where, so to speak, to give us a spiritual laxative to get stuff out of us so he can cause us to develop and grow. So we are cups. Other thing a cup would suggest is don't forget we are vessels. Now, when I lived in New Orleans, I would collect Mardi Gras cups. I would use them to drink pop or iced tea. But sometimes that vessel, or rather sometimes that beverage started tasting like plastic. And I would have to simply wash it out and put it on the shelf for display. Whenever we allow ourselves to influence the taste of the gospel to the world, God will sometimes put us on the shelf. We become useless vessels. In other words, as cups, we're not to forget God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. The second thing this text would suggest, not only are we vessels, are we cups, but it would also suggest that if your cup overflows, let the overflow touch other vessels. I remember my daughter would sometimes fill her glass with iced tea or Kool-Aid or punch, and she would overfill it, and the overflow would touch the chicken plate, fried fish plate, greens, peas, cornbread plate, and so forth. Made a mess. But that would suggest that if we are blessed, in other words, God says to us, he wants not only send blessings to you, but can he send them through you? Let your overflow, if he has blessed you, let that overflow touch other vessels that need a touch. In other words, our lives, as it were, are to be what we call in the TV industry a spinoff. Now, that is, for those of us who are not all that young, remember spinoffs, television. In other words, if a character... Uh, was good and entertaining, they would sometimes give him or her a show of their own. Green Acres was a spinoff of Petticoat Junction. Maud, who used to clash with Archie Bunker, was a spinoff of All in the Family. Good Times was a spinoff of Maud. So in other words, our lives are to be spinoffs to help someone else achieve their dreams and help someone else to make it in life. So in other words, if you are blessed, don't get haughty, don't get stuck up because you got a nickel above lunch. You are to reach back and pull somebody with you or at least leave the door open and crack where they can be the beneficiaries of blessings also. So we are 
cups, let the overflow touch lives. Third thing this text would suggest, we're cups, vessels, let the overflow touch lives, others. Don't be stingy. Don't be screwed with the blessings. It also says that only Jesus can satisfy our deepest hungers, our deepest needs. One of the names in Hebrew for God is El Shaddai. That means strong-breasted one. And it actually is a female image of a mother breastfeeding her child. Now, all of us know that there's no milk like mama's milk. Carnation, more soy, whatever else they drink now with babies. is no substitute for the nutrition that baby needs from the mother. So in other words, that would suggest that there all of our needs. Only Jesus can supply our deepest needs and deepest wants. Now, but you look at our culture. We are hungry, we're thirsty, but we're trying to get those things satisfied by the wrong source. United States, 6% world's population, uses over half the world's illegal drugs. Now there's the abuse of prescription drugs, pill to get you up in the morning, pill to get you sleep at night, pills. We spend billions on entertainment from movies, TVs, cable, whatever. Still miserable as a culture. If you listen to the dialogue of those who are addicted, crackhead says, I'm going to get a rock. But he doesn't know that Jesus is the rock that won't crack nor roll. Heroin addict says, I'm going to get a fix. Doesn't know only Jesus can fix it for you. Can mend your broken heart. Prophet Jeremiah tells us, to his people and to ours, for my people have committed two sins, two evils. They have forsaken me and have made for themselves broken cisterns, broken pots, so to speak, that were catching rainwater. And those broken cisterns can't hold up. We've forsaken the fount of living waters. We've lost, we've left as a church mainly in our culture, our first love. Now, perhaps you may remember this. I liken salvation to a romance. My brothers, you remember you were courting your wife? Or your girlfriend, you were courteous, hold the door for her? Nice. If she would sneeze, you got a cold, baby? <laughs> you walk on the outside to be sure if a car ran amok, you get hit. But somehow in a relationship, the thrill became a chill, to quote B.B. King. <laughs> Religion is on deep freeze. The faith has gotten so cold, the Holy Ghost has to put on ice skates and a mink coat to get your attention. And of course, now she's lucky 
If you don't leave her in the car, if she gets sniffles, don't you give me your cold. I want the flu. And perhaps you might walk on the outside and praying for luck that a car might just hit on you. <laughs> it's better than a divorce. Now, that was a couple who were thinking about, they married 20 years. And the lady told her husband, you know, baby, I wish we could be like it was. We were cold when we first got married. And the man said, I have not gone anywhere. Sometimes the church and the Christian faith has forgotten that Jesus has not left us. We've left him. Come on. But he's willing to be reconciled if we repent and come back. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Fourth thing about this passage. Remember, we're vessels that the spillover touch other vessels. Only the master can supply our deepest longings and fulfill our deepest needs and grant us our wants. But the fourth thing this would suggest is watch what gets in your cup. Verse 